You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the book of 2 Timothy. We're calling Resolute. With this week's message, here's Connections Pastor Caleb Carmichael. You ever have one of those moments where you see something old with fresh eyes? Maybe it's something bad, like that picture that's just hanging a little bit off-centered in your living room, or the sound that your car makes when you start it in the morning, and you, you don't really want to deal with it, so you kind of just ignore it for so long that it just becomes part of it, and you don't even see it anymore. Those things that if you walked in with, with fresh eyes, you would immediately notice them, but, but you've kind of just put them on the back burner. Or, or maybe it's something good, maybe like you've taken for granted that fresh cup of coffee in the morning and, and every once in a while you just you see it for what it is and how good that it is. Or, or you miss the little things that your spouse does for you that, you, that you've taken for granted. Um, I had one of those moments this week. Um, Joe, one of our other pastors on staff, he's, he's an artist. Um, and so over the, the last few years he's been trying to teach me about art because I am not an artist. Um, my definition of good art is if I look at a painting and I say, yeah, that that looks like the thing they were trying to paint. Good job, good art. And if it doesn't look like the thing they were trying to paint, I, I just don't get it. I'm, it's just my brain doesn't work that way. And so Joe tries to educate me. He's patient with me and tries to teach me about art. But I just, I'm, I'm not an artist. And so Joe has this painting hanging in his office. And, and it's a beautiful painting. It looks like something. And I'm like, yeah, good art, Joe. Until this week, he, he kind of sat down and he kind of explained what the painting meant. He explained what each of the characters in the painting actually represented and, and what the, the artist was trying to capture and, and the message the artist was trying to communicate through the painting. And it was one of those moments where I saw it with fresh eyes and I finally understood it. And I was like, whoa, that is beautiful. That is good art, right? And, and maybe for you, you've had moments like that where you see something new and it just changes your entire perspective. I've had another several of those moments in my life. One of them had to do with the Bible. See, I, I grew up in church. My, my mom drugged me to church every time the doors were open. I was there all of the time. And I grew up with the song, right, that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that worked for a long time until one day it didn't. Because for me, one of my favorite questions as a kid, one of my favorite questions as a teenager, still one of my favorite questions today is why? And so when I heard Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, I, I couldn't help but ask, well, well why? why? Why do I know that the, the Bible tells me that? Why, why can I trust the Bible? What, why is the Bible so hard to read? Right? Why doesn't God just talk to me with his voice? Because that seems way, way easier. Why do I need the Bible? How do I know that Jesus loves me? I have so many questions about the Bible. And for a while, it felt like I couldn't ask those questions out loud. Because growing up for me, the line was, well, if the Bible says it, that settles it. Right? The Bible says it, that settles it. My problem is I didn't always understand what the Bible was saying, so nothing felt settled. And so I'd, I'd hear people on both sides of the, the arguments, both really smart people making points. And I'm like, well, how can both of those things be true? Or I'd have friends telling me it was stupid to even be reading the Bible. Why would you do that? It's a waste of your time. And so to ask questions of the Bible felt dangerous. It felt like it was unsafe to ask those questions. 
And maybe you've grown up like me and, and you've had that experience. Maybe, maybe you were given simple answers to complex questions and that didn't really help much at all. Or, or maybe you've heard claims against the accuracy of the Bible and you're like, I don't, I don't know that we can trust what this says. Or, or maybe you don't know how to reconcile some things in the Old Testament and, and this God of the New Testament and Jesus who says we should love. And, and how do you reconcile that with the Old Testament and you're just left with more questions? Or, or maybe you really do love and trust and believe the Bible, but, but if you're like me, maybe sometimes it's just really hard to understand. Or maybe, like the beautiful painting in Joe's office, maybe, maybe you love scripture, maybe you read it every day, but, but maybe you've just grown blind to it, you've grown accustomed to it, and maybe you need to see it with fresh eyes this morning. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what the Bible actually says about itself and what that means for us. Because I think if we approach the Bible with unfair expectations, we're going to leave disappointed or frustrated if I open up a cookbook and expect to find directions on how to get to Dallas, I'm going to be frustrated or disappointed or confused, right? And so I think sometimes we do that with Scripture. We approach it with unfair expectations. And so this morning, we're going to see what the Bible actually says about itself. And up front, I want you to know we aren't going to answer every question, right? We aren't even going to try to defend the Bible from maybe an outside apologetic standpoint, not because we can't do that, but just because it's not our focus this morning. But a little bit later, we're going to point you to some resources. So if you have those types of questions, we want to put some resources in your hands where you can find those answers. But instead, what we're actually going to do is we're going to look at a letter. We're going to continue walking through the letter that we call 2 Timothy. It's a letter written by a guy named Paul. And if you're new to the Bible or, or new to church or new to Christianity, the Bible isn't actually just one book. It's a collection of 66 different books, of 66 ancient documents, scrolls, letters, historical accounts, poetry, narrative. It's full of all different types of documents. And these documents are collected and they're all pointing to one thing, to a man named Jesus. Many of these documents were written before Jesus' time. They were looking forward to him. Several of them were written about his life, a biography of Jesus and, and what happened during his life. And then many of them were written after, written to his followers to explain what it means to follow him and, and so we have this collection of, of letters and documents that we have, the New Testament, or the, the, excuse me, the Bible. And one of these letters in the New Testament was written by a guy named Paul. Now, Paul was Jewish, and he actually despised Christianity. He hated Christianity, and he tried to end Christianity until he met Jesus. And maybe like you, once you meet Jesus, it changes everything for you. And so Paul changed his entire life to begin following Jesus, and that led him to planting churches all over the world. He would travel, come to this new area, tell people about Jesus, start a church, and then leave and go do it again. And Paul, he would write letters back to, to, his follow, to the followers of Jesus. He would write letters back to these churches where he had started. And along the way, he met a guy named Timothy, and Timothy was one of these guys who was starting a church. And he wrote letters to Timothy encouraging him about following Jesus, encouraging him on what it means to be a pastor in a local church, giving him instruction and guidance. And we get to a sneak peek into Paul's point of view as he writes these letters to Timothy. And in this letter that we're looking at, he's encouraging Timothy to be strong and courageous in the face of persecution. That the world around him is going to hate him because of he's following Jesus. So, and he's encouraging Timothy to stand strong. And in the middle of this letter, Paul's going to anchor this challenge to Timothy in a few different things. First, he's going to anchor it in what Timothy has learned from his mother and his grandmother. He's going to anchor it in the power and the authority of Scripture, of the Bible itself. He's going to anchor it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
And so with all of that in mind, let's look at what Paul says. I invite you to open your copy of Scripture to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 14. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, there are some at the back of the room. We would love for you to pick one of those up. Take it home. It's our gift to you. If you were here last week, you know that, that Paul had just finished telling Timothy how the world will continue down this path of darkness, how people will be lovers of self and not lovers of God, how they will go from bad to worse, being deceived and deceiving others. And it's in this context that Paul continues and says in chapter 3, verse 14, it says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, but you, Timothy, remember what you've learned. Remember what you've learned from your childhood. And not only that, Timothy, remember what you've believed. This wasn't just information that you accepted. This was something that you believed. This was something you placed your trust in. This was something you gave your life to. Timothy, remember that. And even when the world around you isn't living that way, you remember. And in case you forget, Timothy, remember where it came from. Your mother, Eunice, your grandmother, Lois, you've seen them live this out. You've seen how God changed their life, how he spoke to them through the scriptures. You saw this truth in action and you learned as they passed it down to you. So Timothy, remember these things. And parents and grandparents, never underestimate the impact that you have in your kids or your grandkids' life when you point them to Scripture, when you point them to who Jesus is. And you never know the difference that you are making when you point them back to Jesus. And so Paul says to Timothy, from childhood, Timothy, you have been familiar with, you have known, you have heard these things taught, and you've believed them. And he says, the sacred writings. And that's what we would call the Old Testament, because as Paul is writing this letter, we don't have the New Testament as we know it today. Paul is actually writing it in this moment. He's writing part of it in this moment. And so when Paul is telling Timothy, remember the things you've learned, the sacred writings, he's talking about what we would call the Old Testament, what the Bible itself often calls the law or the prophets or the Psalms or the writings. And Paul says something amazing here. He says, these things were able to make you wise. And not just wise for wisdom's sake, but wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. That Paul is confirming that the Old Testament writings have power. That they aren't just another book, they aren't just another collection of writings. That they are able to make a person wise for salvation because they are all pointing to Jesus. And what's so interesting is when I think about the Bible, and specifically I think about the Old Testament, it's, it's not often that I think about that in the lens of this is talking about Jesus. Right? When I think of the Old Testament, I think, okay, yeah, it's about creation, and then it's about a fall, and then it's, you know, there's this big flood, and then it's about this guy named Abraham, and then, and then it's about this family named Israel, and then there's some kings, David and Solomon, and there's some prophets. Like, that's what the Old Testament is about. But Paul's saying, no, 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 these things were able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself actually says the same thing. In Luke 24, this is Jesus, after he's died and come back to life, he appears to his followers. And he said to them, Jesus speaking, he said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That everything written about there was fulfilled through me. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. 
Jesus is saying, everything in the Old Testament is looking forward to me. It is pointing forward to me that in me you can find forgiveness for your sins, that in me you can find life. Jesus says something similar in John chapter 5. He's speaking to the Jewish leaders of the time, and he says, you search the scriptures. You're looking through the Old Testament. You're searching for them. You're finding them things because you think that you can find the words of life in here. And he says, you're right, because in here they bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is saying that this book is pointing to him and the life that he offers. And so Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, remember. Remember the things that you've learned. Remember the things that you've believed. Remember the things that were taught and modeled for you by your family, by me, Paul. Remember all of these things. And not only that, remember the truth to where it points, to Jesus. And then we get to a huge verse, verse 16. Paul is doubling down on this for Timothy. Not only remember what you've learned, not only remember the scriptures, but remember the power they have because this is why they have power. Verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul writing to Timothy in this moment says that scripture is breathed out by God. It is God breathed. Maybe your copy of scripture, your translation says it's inspired by God. And what Paul is saying is that these texts are special because they are literally the words of God for us. That God in his infinite power, in his infinite wisdom, wanted to speak to humanity. He wanted to speak to me and he wanted to speak to you. And in order to do that, he chose to use human language. And then he chose to use human authors and he chose to use their experiences and their backgrounds and their personalities and their life stories and that he worked through human authors and he worked through all of those things leading them by the Holy Spirit to write and record this collection of writings. And so that Paul, when he's sitting down and he's writing this letter to Timothy, he's writing in his own voice and he's using his own words, and yet at the exact same time, God is working through his Holy Spirit to lead Paul to say what God wants to say to Timothy and for us. Peter, who is a contemporary of Paul, who also wrote some of the documents that we have in our New Testament, also a follower of Jesus, he's even aware of this happening during the process in which the New Testament is being written. He recognizes, Peter recognizes that that Paul's writings, his letters are authoritative, that they are unique, that they also have power. Peter writes this in the letter that we call 2 Peter. He says, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them which are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. See, what Peter's doing in this moment is he is elevating Paul's writings to the same level as the Old Testament scriptures. He's saying what Paul is writing to us is scripture. It is God-breathed. It is the word of God to us. And if you've ever felt bad about Scripture being hard to understand, don't feel bad. Peter, one of the authors of the Bible itself, says Paul is really hard to understand. And so then that brings up my why question, though. If if Peter himself says Paul is hard to understand, and if this is God's word to us and God is trying to speak to us, then why is it so hard to understand sometimes? Why why doesn't God just tell me what to do? Why doesn't God just just paint an easy picture for me? Why why doesn't God just speak to me? 
And I think it comes down to a, to a misunderstanding or maybe bringing some bad expectations into to how scripture was written, why scripture was written, and what scripture itself is trying to accomplish. See, I've approached scripture, I think, um, from a bad lens a lot of times in my life. See, so often I approach scripture as, as like an instruction manual. Um, and if you're like me, when you get anything new, whether it's a new phone or a new gadget or a new um, toaster oven, the first thing you do when you open the box is you find the instruction manual and you read it from cover to cover because I'm a nerd, right? Like if you're with me, you understand. Fellow nerds unite, right? But it, um, I want to know everything there is to know about this toaster oven. I want to know all of the functions that it can do. I want to know how it can toast my bagels. Like, I want to know everything about it. And so I read it all, and I read, like, when it goes wrong, I know what to do. Um, and then, so I know everything there is to know. Or if you're like my wife, you get something new, you open the box, you completely ignore the fact that this exists, you throw it away, and then when you have a question, you come find the guy who's read the instruction manual. And by then, I've forgotten everything, I have to go pull it back out, and, you know. Um, but... But I've approached scripture like this. I've pretended the Bible is an instruction manual. And, and the problem with that is the only time I pull this out of the cabinet is when I have a problem. I have a problem. I need to go find this. I'm going to search for the page where it says what to do. I'm going to do it. And then I'm going to put this back on the shelf until I have another problem. And I've approached scripture the same way. Now, I think scripture gives us um, instructions. I think it gives us instructions like an instruction manual does. But, I, but to only think of it like this is missing so much of what the Bible is trying to do. Another way I've approached scripture is, is like a self-help book. Classic, national bestseller, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And so often I approach scripture like this, just give me the bullet list, give me the simple approach, boil it down to a formula where if I put these seven things into practice, then my life is going to be perfect. And the problem is when I try to do that and I do all seven things, my life still isn't perfect. Now, I think scripture gives us help. I think it gives us guidance. We're going to talk about that later. But, but to think I can boil everything in scripture down to a simple formula misses so much as well. Maybe for you... you you're a board game fan, and if you're like me, you pull out the, the rules of the board game, right, and you read them all. Um, but I've approached scripture like a simple rule book. And maybe you, you think of the Bible as, as a rule book as well, right? It's just there to tell you what not to do and what to do. And maybe you're like the rule follower, right? So you open the rule book, and you're reading it just to make sure you don't mess up. You want to make sure you do everything perfectly. Or, or maybe you're the other side, like you open the rule book so you can completely disregard it and get rid of it because you hate rules. Or maybe if you're like me, you read it so that you can figure out how to like work your way around it and find the loopholes, right? But if you're only approaching scripture as a list of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, you're missing, again, so much of what scripture has to offer. Another way that I've approached scripture is, is like a novel, right? I've heard scripture is a story, and it is. But the thing I love about a good novel is it kind of just sucks you into the story and you can kind of distract yourself from the world around you and you can follow the characters through. And then, and then by the end of the book, what happens is you, you kind of know everything. You kind of get the whole point. You know the story they're trying to tell and what happens the good guys win and everyone lives happily ever after and I can put it away and never have to read it again because I've already heard the story. And now I think scripture tells a story. I think it tells the greatest story ever told. That it tells a story of a God who wants a relationship with people. And so he creates the universe and he creates people and he creates us to rule and to reign with him. But that in our own pride and our own arrogance and our own thinking, we know better that we rebel against God. That we take things on our own and we, we don't trust this God who loves us. 
And when we do that, the Bible calls that sin, and it introduced this brokenness into the world around us and into our own, into our own hearts and souls. And that, that we live this broken existence because we're separated from our creator, we're separated from God. But that God isn't this mean, angry, violent God who, who is going to punish us for that. No, he's, he's a God who wants to restore us, to redeem us, to make us whole again. And so the story of the Bible tells of a God who pursues us and comes running after us and wants to make us right with him and how, how we keep failing over and over again. And it tells a story about how our sin comes at a cost, that the price for our sin is actually death, but because, again, God loves us, he doesn't want us to pay that price, and so he comes himself. God with us, he sends his son Jesus to earth. And that Jesus lives a perfect life that we could never live, and then he dies on a cross to take my place and to take yours. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus, three days later, rises from the dead. He comes back to life. He does that in order to give me life and to give you life and to offer all of us life. And the way that we experience that life is by placing our trust in Jesus. It's not about cleaning our act up. It's not about being a better rule follower. It's not about knowing all of the answers. It's simply about trusting that what Jesus did on the cross counts for us. And this story is the greatest story ever told. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus, I would invite you to do that right where you're sitting. Again, you don't have to say a magic prayer. It's not about cleaning your life up, that Jesus wants to restore you right where you're at. And you can do that this very moment. So the Bible tells a story, but it's more than just a novel. It's also more than just a systematic theology textbook. Now, when I went to seminary, this is how I viewed the Bible, that the Bible is the place I go to get answers so that I can win arguments with people, right? It's so that I can understand everything there's to know about God, that I can put God in a box, and I can make sure that I know everything about him. And now theology is good. We need proper theology. We need sound theology. We need these things. But to approach the Bible as if it's a systematic theology textbook misses so much. One other way that I've approached scripture is a scientific textbook. That I open up the Bible and I'm trying to force it to answer questions that I have in 21st century America that it's just simply not trying to answer. I think the Bible gives us answers about how the world works and about how the, the world functions, but to make it, to reduce it down to this, to where it reduce it to where it's only giving us answers to the natural phenomenon we see is missing all of the supernatural things that God wants to do in and through our lives. It's not a scientific textbook. Now, the Bible has elements of all of these things. It gives us guidance. It gives us instruction. There is theology. It does tell the story, but it's not any one of these things in isolation. It has all of them together. And so what I want to invite you to do is maybe change the way you view Scripture. Maybe change the, the category that you put Scripture in and the way that I want to invite you to consider it is, is, a, is a phrase that I've got from the Bible Project. It's, it's called meditative literature. That scripture itself is, is meditative. It's meant and designed and crafted and created to not give you all of the answers on the first read or the tenth read or even the hundredth read. That it's designed on purpose to make you slow down, to read and to reread to go through it all and then come back and see how the end connected to the beginning and how beginning connected to the end and how everything in the middle was connected to everything else. 
And that scripture was designed in a way that no matter how much you study it, no matter how much you learn, no matter how much you memorize, no matter how much you understand, that there's always going to be more to it. There's always going to be another level. There's always going to be another connection that you haven't seen before. There's always going to be more wisdom to gain. It's incredible. And how so often I come to scripture wanting to find every answer for every question that I have about life, but it's designed to not give us all of those answers. In fact, I think it's designed to force us to ask questions. And I think the question that God is trying to ask us through scripture over and over and over again is, will I trust him? I think God, through the scriptures, is inviting you to ask that same question. Will you trust him? Because the more time I spend reading scripture and the more time I spend studying it, there are actually some things that become less clear to me. There's some debates in the theological world and maybe Christian circles where you go down the rabbit trail and you end up at the bottom. And you're like, there are four different options here and they all sound like they could be right. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not sure where I land. But the thing that becomes more and more clear the more I study scripture is the character of my God. The thing that every time I approach scripture with fresh eyes, the thing that I can see is who my God is. That he's a God of compassion. And he's a God of mercy. And he's a God who loves me. He's a God who is just and sees all of the evil and all of the pain in the world. And he sees that. And yet at the same time, he promises that he can work all things together for the good of those who love him. And I don't know how to reconcile all of that all of the time. But I think scripture points to a God who is trustworthy. And so he's asking us the question, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And so the Bible says about itself that it's God breathed, that it's God's word to us. But if we're going to be fair to scripture and, and try to understand what it's saying to us, we have to, we have to know what it says about itself. It's, it's God's words to us. But what are, what are some of the other things scripture says about itself? Psalm 119 tells us it is a guide. It's a lamp to my feet and a guide to my path. But the thing about a lamp is it's only going to light up a few steps at a time. But it is going to guide our path when we approach it. It tells us it's meditative literature. Joshua 1.8 says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. It's meant to be thought through. It's meant to be studied. It's meant to be wrestled with, to feel the tension of, and live in that tension. It's not man's own word. Peter, who we referenced earlier, says this, that knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is reaffirming that this is actually God's word to us. It's lasting. Isaiah 40 says this, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Jesus says it's truth that sanctified them in your truth, but your word is truth, that we can trust it because there's truth found in Scripture. And then finally, Hebrews 4.12, that there's something unique about this collection of writings because it says the word of God is living and active. That none of these other categories of books are living and active. None of them will stand the test of time. Eventually, all of these things will be outdated. But scripture is different. Why? Because it's alive. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. And it's discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
that God through scripture claims to be speaking to us. It's his authoritative word for our lives. It's our source of truth. It's the anvil in which we can hammer out the issues and questions in our lives. And yet at the same time, if you're here and you're new to Christianity or you're skeptical or you're still like, yeah, that sounds great. I, all of the Bible says that about itself, but I still don't, I don't trust the Bible. Okay, you're just making a circular argument here. You're just using the Bible to defend itself. I get that. And I think there's answers to the questions that you may have, and we don't have time to cover them this morning, but I want to point you to a resource if, if that's where you're at this morning. It's, it's a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's a, it's a pretty exhaustive book. It's going to answer every question you have about how we got the Bible that we have. It's going to talk about the Old Testament writings, how, how they were compiled, how they were collected, when they were written, the, the historical accounts that you can track with uh, data on those things. It's going to talk about the New Testament accounts, the eyewitnesses' accounts, how we got the canon that we have, the collection of books here. It's going to answer all of those questions and more. So if you're here and you're wrestling with, can I even trust the book? Is it, is it really like what God wants to say to us? I'm going to point you to this resource. It's an excellent resource to answer those questions. But going back to Paul's letter to Timothy, verse 16. If we have all of this in mind about what Scripture is, about how God wants to communicate to us and with us, let's go back to verse 16. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That it's good for these things, that when you read it and you meditate on it and you think about it and you wrestle with it, that it's going to bring a profit and that profit is going to come in these forms. It's good for teaching, right? Scripture is going to show you what is right. It's going to show you what is just. It's going to show you what is good. It's also profitable for reproof. It's going to show you what's not good. It's going to show you what's evil. It's going to show you what's bad, what is not right. And at the same time, it's going to show you correction, that if you find yourself over here, it's going to help correct you to bring you back to what is right, and all of these things are leading into training in righteousness. That scripture is profitable for training in righteousness, to practicing God's way of life. That God didn't give us the Bible and that Jesus didn't come to earth just to simply make us better rule followers. No, he came to make us whole, to restore us and to give us life, and this training is part of that. If you've ever played a sport or an instrument, you know that you don't just pick them up and are immediately good at them. No, you have to train. You have to practice. You're going to be bad at first, and then you're going to work your way along, and you're going to progress. And that's what Scripture is profitable for. It's profitable for this training in righteousness. And it's all for a purpose. Not knowledge for knowledge's sake. Not information for information's sake. Not even wisdom for wisdom's sake. No, it's so that you can be complete. Equipped for every good work. And complete in this context, it doesn't mean perfect, it means capable. So, so picture a carpenter working on a chair. That, that chair is complete when it's ready and able to function as a chair. And so what Paul is saying is when you go to Scripture, it's profitable for training in righteousness that when you do these things, it's going to make you complete. It's going to make you capable. It's going to make you ready to live out God's calling for your life. And with all of that in mind, with all of our calling in mind and God's, uh, all of this, it's going, excuse me, Paul calls back to Timothy. He says, Timothy, trust the scriptures and now I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to issue this final charge. Chapter four, verse one, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, 
preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul begins this charge by anchoring it on the strongest things that he can find. He says, I anchor this in God and in Jesus and his work and his kingdom. Timothy, this is serious. I want you to lean in. Don't miss this, Timothy. On every authority that I can claim, I am, I'm charging you before these things. You, Timothy, preach the word. And Timothy, you need to be ready, not just some of the time, but all of the time, in season and out of season. I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, which means, unfortunately, we are in off-season mode right now. We are not playing in the Super Bowl this afternoon. But what does off-season mean? It means that the Cowboys are going to take this off-season, they're going to let their bodies rest, they're going to not think about football for a while, they're not going to be training for a while, they're going to recover so that next year we can win the Super Bowl. But, but right now, it's off-season. It's not football time, right? Their minds are on other things, they're on vacation, they're not thinking football. But Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you don't get an off-season. You need to be ready all of the time. You need to be ready to preach the word all of the time. You need to be ready to reprove, rebuke, exhort. Timothy, you need to be ready to correct people when they've gone astray. You need to be ready to encourage people when they're doing good. And Timothy, you need to do those things with complete patience. Timothy, you're not going to beat people over the head with the Bible. You're not going to beat them up for not doing well. Timothy, you're not any better than anybody else, but Jesus is better. And so be ready to point people back to Jesus with patience. Point them to the truth and patience. Point them to the scriptures. And why do you need to be ready, Timothy? Because like we talked about last week, people are going to be deceived. That a time is coming when people won't listen to sound teaching. They will only want to listen to teachers who tell them what they want to hear. They'll only want to listen to what people say who confirms what they already believe to be true. And Timothy, if you challenge those assumptions, they're going to dismiss you and they're going to leave you and they're going to find someone else who will tell them what they want to hear. So we read these words and we think, okay, great, what does that mean for me today? I think there's some lessons we can learn from Paul's letter to Timothy. And the first one, I think, is simply that we can trust Scripture. And we can trust Scripture if you're here and, and you've grown up a Christian, my challenge would be to you, what Paul challenged Timothy, is to remember what you've learned. Remember the truths of the things that you've learned. Remember and, and look back on the people in your life who followed Jesus and see how it changed their lives. Look back on your own life and see how God has worked through the scriptures, through people around you. And if you've never done that, maybe I'd encourage you to sit down and just simply write out your story. Write out your testimony, write through the moments when you can see God has worked in and through your life, how he was there for you and he's provided for you all along the way so that you can come back and you can remember what you've learned and you can trust the scriptures. The second thing I would tell us is when we go to scripture, remember that we're going to it and it's going to be profitable. And that when we do that, it's going to be profitable for training in righteousness, so don't approach Scripture just as the way you can get more information so that you can win more arguments. Go to it with the understanding that, no, when I'm doing this, I'm training myself to be ready to live out the calling that God has for me. 
That when I'm opening up scripture, I might not feel it or see it or understand it, but that God is doing something inside of me to make me complete, to make me ready, to make me ready to do the things that he's called me to do. And when I'm done that, let's live out our calling together. That Timothy's calling was specifically to preach the word in season and out, and and that might not be your calling, right? We aren't all called to preach, but as followers of Jesus, we all do have some shared callings. We're all called to love our neighbor. We're all called to, to be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have in Jesus. We're all called to pray for our enemies, We're called to lay down our lives for Christ. We're all called to pick up our cross daily. We're called to serve others and consider others more important than ourselves. We're called to use our spiritual gifts for the benefit of the church. We're called to embody grace in everything that we do. We're called to trust God. We're called to walk by the Spirit. And so church, let's be ready in season and out of season to live at our calling before Jesus Christ. And then finally... Let's be open to truth. Let's be open to truth. This warning to Timothy about how people will wander from the truth is a sobering warning to you and I to not become one of those people. And so I'm asking, do you read scripture for yourself? Do you read scripture on your own? Or are you like the person who throws away the instruction manual and and just goes and finds the person who's, who's read it to ask them? Do you read it on your own Or do you just trust someone that you've listened to on a podcast or a YouTube video that you've seen or someone on TikTok says about the Bible? Or are you reading it for yourself? That's why we encourage you to bring your own Bible so that you can open it up and read along so that when I'm standing here teaching, it's not, well, Caleb said, no, no, these are the words that that Paul wrote to Timothy that God inspired for us. And then not only are you reading it yourself, but are you reading it in community? Are you reading it with other people so that you can, when you have questions, you can have someone you can go to? See, we don't want you to be scared to ask the difficult questions. We want this to be a place where you can come with those questions and we can explore it together. Because if scripture is designed to force us to ask questions, let's explore them together. And so find some people in your life where you can read scripture in community. And then I want to ask, who who do you go to for advice? Is it the person who's going to tell you what you want to hear, or is it going to be the person who tells you what you need to hear? And I'm so guilty of this because I know myself, um, because one, I can justify almost anything in my own mind, right? I can get clever and twist words and talk myself into thinking that anything is right if I want it to be right. And so over the last few years, I've become more aware of that, and so I've tried to invite people in to, to big decisions that I'm facing or things that I'm processing, but even then, I'm pretty good about picking the friend who's going to tell me what I want to hear, right? Like, I have this problem and this dilemma. This is what I want to do. It's probably not what I should do. But if I ask this person, they're going to, they're going to confirm it for me. Or maybe you've ever had this happen where, where you're wrestling through a decision and, and you don't know what to do. And you kind of feel like this is the right thing, but you don't really want to do it. And so you go to a friend and you're like, hey, here's my story. Here's what's going on. And what do you think? And they're like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. You should definitely do this other thing. Like, Maybe you didn't understand me. Let, me. let me rephrase it. This is, this is what I want to do. This is the right thing, right? You're like, no. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go ask somebody else because I didn't like your advice. Are you a person who can't hear anything different than what you already believe? Are you a person who gets defensive anytime someone tries to correct you or challenge you? 
Are you a person who has someone in their life who has permission to speak difficult truth to you? Do you have anyone in your life who has permission to call you out in your mistakes? Anyone who's there to hold up the mirror to your sin with patience and gentleness to help you see the flaws in your thinking or your living? Do you have anyone in your life who's there to to not beat you up, but to help build you up, to help you train in righteousness together? Because Paul tells Timothy, people will turn away from the truth that you should expect it, Timothy. Timothy, you need to remember. Remember what you've learned. Remember the power that the scriptures have. Remember that it's not just man's word, it's actually God's word. Timothy, remember the truth. And so, Timothy, go to this source of truth. Search the scriptures. Meditate on them. Pray about them. Spend time with them because, Timothy, it's going to be profitable for you. And then it might not feel like it today or it might not feel like it tomorrow. It might not even feel like it this month. But that God is slowly going to be working in and through you, through his word. He's going to be making you into this thing that's complete, this thing that's ready for every good work, that's ready to live out your calling. And then, Timothy, when you've reached there, live out your calling. Don't listen to the world. Don't give in to the world. Stand firm on the truth of Scripture that's going to point you to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I think Paul would issue the same challenge to us this morning. Remember what we've learned. Remember the truth that we can find in Scripture. Remember the hope that we have in Jesus. And then let's go to the Scriptures, not just trying to win arguments, but to be conformed, to be transformed to the image of our God, ready to live out the things that he's called us to do. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.